morning, Promise Church. What a pleasure and blessing and honor to be with you all this morning. Um, I'm so humbled to stand at this pulpit. Uh, I, I feel like I, I'm in the shadow of greatness. I've, I've sat under such great teaching at this pulpit with Pastors Henry and Pastor Cindy, and I, I'm humbled to be here. And so we're, I'm honored that Cindy would trust my wife and I to be here and minister with you all this morning while she's away with family celebrating her niece's birthday in Texas. What an honor that is. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Carrie, this morning. I want to honor her. And my youngest of our two sons, Uriah. You wave at everyone. And uh, I, I wanted to point out my son today because the title of my message this morning is borrowed from a phrase that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians, growing up into him. And this whole idea, if we have the, uh, the title slide, we're growing up into Christ. The whole idea of legacy, the whole idea of passing on something to the next generation, having something that is worthwhile that goes beyond just your own sphere of influence. Do you track what I'm, I'm talking about? And nothing got me more in that mode than when I became a father for the first time. And if any of you are parents or grandparents, you can remember the moment that your child was born, and it changes your perspective to start thinking more in the long term. What deposit am I making in my children's lives that's going to make an impact for eternity? And uh, we pick up many things from our families. Some are great characteristics and some are not so great. My uh, son picked up my wife's beautiful complexion. He has a wonderful tan. He's darker skinned. When we go to the pool, he just never burns. He just is always sun-kissed and brown. I, on the other hand, am pale, pasty white. So when I go to the pool, I have to slather on the SPF 100 with a, ro a paint roller. I just put it on my skin. We, we try to find spots at the pool that have a shaded area on one half and then a completely exposed sun area so my wife can lay out. And uh, so that's, that's part of the, uh, the challenges. So my son picked up my wife's good looks and pigment. I pick up some things from my family that aren't always so attractive. Apparently, I didn't know this at the time. But when I first got married to my wife, uh, I, I didn't realize that my family smacks when they eat food a lot. Does that bother anyone? Is that anyone's pet peeve in the room? I didn't know this. I didn't know this was a problem. I literally would eat in my family in our house, and the first time my wife came over to my family's house, she would just sit at the table in awe, and her jaw was on the floor because the whole room was just, it, people were just chomping down. I didn't even realize this. It's one of my blind spots, right? Everybody have blind spots. I didn't even realize that was a problem until I married my wife. And so, excuse me while I drink this incredibly noisy bottle of water, and I'll try not to smack in the microphone while I do that. So now when we eat meat during our meals, I have to go in the backyard like I'm a lion at the zoo. I have to try, to try to keep it as quiet as possible. And God forbid I want to eat cereal, right? My wife has to be like underwater or asleep if I'm trying to do that. So I'm always concerned, always trying to make sure. But there's little attributes, there's little characteristics that we pick up. And Paul, the apostle, brings us in, in Ephesians 4, he talks about how we are growing up into Christ in every way. That means when we make that decision to follow Jesus, every portion of who we are, how we act, the opinions that we hold, the political persuasions that we lean toward, all of that begin to point and veer toward the person of Jesus Christ. So we have to know him. I want to ask you today, do you know him? 
do you know Jesus? How well do you know him? There's such an incredible revelation when you honestly assess and ask and say, Lord, I want to know you more. Not just the surface level things that I read in scripture. I want to know your heart. I want to know your character. Because the scriptures say as we see him rightly, Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 that as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, when we see him rightly, when we gaze upon his beauty and we look upon the person of Jesus, we actually see ourselves because we identify who we are in him. And as he is, so are we in this world. Does that make sense? I love Paul's words in Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 3, if we put that up on the screen. Look at these words. Paul says, I want to know him. Just pause there for a minute. Never be in a rush when you're reading God's word. I want to know him. Paul, the most learned, educated man you could have. He grew up under the best teachers of Torah. He studied the word. He knew all of it. He says these words, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. There's a beauty that comes when we begin to embrace the suffering of Jesus. We understand that when we die, he lives in us. When we embrace the part of our lives that we cling on to, when we lay that side down, the scriptures say that when, we, when we're trying to find our lives, we lose it. But when we lose our lives for his sake, we find it. These are Paul's words. So let's take a minute. If you would open your scriptures up, I want to go to John chapter 1. I want to just quickly, we're going to jump through a couple of pieces so that we can rightly and accurately define and picture Jesus to understand his person, his personality. And then we're going to dive into a few characteristics that the Lord's put on my heart for us in this house this morning to focus on. And then at the end, I'd love for us to close out in communion together. We're going to share the last meal together. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we're going to just start at the very beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, everyone say, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. I love this, verse 3. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jump down to verse 10. He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Jesus, who was there at the beginning of creation, the very breath of God, when God said, let there be, it was Jesus that was there enabling it. He was there at creation. All creation was made through him. Can you imagine what it's like for Jesus to step into the world Verse 10, he was in the world, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. To walk into a space that you created, it's like building a company that you built from the ground up. Stepping into that company, no one knows who you are. To not receive the honor that is due unto you, he steps into a world with no honor. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He stepped into a world and willingly embraced rejection. There's something about this person, Jesus, that is different than the way you and I have been raised and how we're taught to think. 
where we fight for respect, where we fight to be recognized. The world teaches us you got to fight for what's yours. But Jesus willingly steps into the world knowing rejection is what's coming to him. He steps into it willingly. Colossians 1.15 says that he is the perfect image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's a good word. I want to read that again, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Jesus says, if you look at me, you're looking at the Father. If you look at me, you're looking at the Father. He's giving a, a presentation of, to the world, world, this is what God the Father looks like. Look at my life. And we as the church are called to do the exact same thing now to represent Jesus. If you want to see what Jesus is like, look at his church. Look at it, me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Are we representing Jesus? How well do we know him? To the point that we can rightly divide the word and see Jesus as he is, according to Scripture, in heaven, so are we in the world. Are you tracking? So there's three characteristics I wanted to focus on this morning. And these are, there's a number of areas that we can really highlight and point out, but these are some of the areas where, you know, God sometimes works on you more than anyone else. I try, when I'm preaching, I feel like the Lord works me over on any of these issues more than anyone else in the room. So I'm, I'm on the recipient edge of all of these words I speak today. But the first attribute or the first piece, the characteristic of Christ, that to me always blows me away is that he is dependent that Jesus was dependent. I find these words interesting as Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 19. He's talking to the Pharisees. And picture Jesus, the Son of God, has all the power in the world. But I want to ask you a question. Did Jesus have any miracle working powers prior to his baptism in the Holy Spirit? None whatsoever. You won't see any stories in biblical scripture of Jesus healing a, a bird when he was 12, or walking over to his brothers when they skinned their knees on the skateboard, going home, going down the hill in, in Nazareth, and laying his hand on his, on his uh, brother James and speaking healing over a scraped knee. You won't see any of those. The scriptures say that when Jesus came up out of the water in the Jordan River, when John the bapti baptizer baptized him, the heavens parted and the Holy Spirit came and rested upon Jesus like a dove. It was at that moment that Jesus was launched into his public ministry. It was from that moment he was beginning his miraculous lifestyle to represent the Father and ultimately lead toward the cross. And so Jesus begins to operate in his public ministry, operating in the miraculous only under the power of the Holy Spirit. Every miracle Jesus performs was not performed by him. It was by the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was upon his life. Every single miracle that you and I perform is in the same way, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, by the authority that Jesus gave us as the church. Jesus, in John 5, 19, he says, I can do nothing. The Son of God, there at creation, Jesus' quoted words, I can do nothing by myself. Weighty words from the Son of God. 
I can do nothing by myself. In fact, Jesus was speaking himself of himself in the third person. He says, I tell you the truth. The Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because Jesus' entire mission was to accurately represent the heart and the will and the purpose of the Father. I can do nothing by myself. Jesus was dependent. We live in a society that celebrates independence celebrates standing up for who we are and rightly expressing who we are and trying to make sure that the world understands and receives and celebrates who our authentic self is. But the message of the gospel is completely opposite, that we walk as believers in a life of dependency on the Father, dependency on the Holy Spirit. The second point, this one stings for me, that Jesus was selfless. He was selfless. Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus raises the bar. He, he gives us the litmus, litmus test of what a disciple means. He says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Church, we are the dying ones. We are the dying ones. We are the ones that set aside our will and we lay aside what we want to begin to take on everything that he is. We die, this is important, we die to everything that we are so that we can live to everything that he is. We die to everything that we are. The characteristics that you picked up from your family. I have a, 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 there's a saying in my family with the daily men that there's an anger streak that runs through the daily men. There's a, there's, there's a, a piece in our family history where if you, if you push some of the men in my family too far, they'll lash out. And they've got a little, they've got this anger streak that will come out. And I had to make a decision a long time ago that I don't identify with the characteristics of my family. I step into who I am in Christ Jesus, and those pieces no longer define me. And every single one of you have to make that same decision, that we step out of the things that the world says defines us, and we step into who Christ is. And we only do that by dying to self. I'll never forget one of the times I was uh, in my prayer room. My wife and I recently had just a little spat. Sometimes we disagree on things. It's always my fault, not my wife's. This is good. That was good. <laughs> it goes nice. I hear it. Thank you. So the next morning after we had a little spat, I'm in, the, I'm in my prayer time in the Word of God. And when we're reading the word, we don't read the word to just understand it and have knowledge. We read the word to be transformed. And so I'm sitting in the, my prayer time. I'm still a little, a little ticked off and still a little upset about the conversation that happened the night before. And I remember clear as day as I'm reading, the Holy Spirit tells me. And sometimes God speaks to me and it's through impression or through the word. But this, this was clear as a bell. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me. You know what he said? He said, go clean the kitchen. Go clean the kitchen. And so I have learned, so we'll put this picture up. I have learned that this gift to my wife is one of the best gifts that I can give her in dying to self 
Women, can, if you want that anointing on your husband, I'll be praying for them at the end of service. Just bring them forward. I'll lay hands. This is nothing that I've learned on my own. This is, this is through the Holy Spirit. But a clean kitchen was one of the things that the Lord used for me to die to myself, for me to stop standing up for my rights of what I want and what I think I deserve and where I think I'm right, and I can stand up for this, and I'm just going to wait until she acknowledges my rightness and instead just die to self and say, Lord, this is, this is not my place. And so I wanted to begin to pass this legacy on, not just from my way of living, but I wanted my children to begin to pick up this, this understanding that when we serve, we serve well. And when scripture says that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, love is selfless. Love never keeps a record of wrong. You don't keep a list of the reasons why you're right and the reasons why you have every right to justify a behavior that is not represented in the person of Jesus. If you don't see your behavior in the person of Jesus, then you don't need it in your life. If you're saying words that could not come out of the mouth of Jesus, then you need to transform and shift the way that you're thinking towards how you can speak and what you can say. You never heard Jesus say, uh, well, the reason I did that was because he... Or how dare them, because if they just understood my background, if they understand my trauma, if they understand where I came from, I'm stepping on some toes now. If you can't hear it coming out of the mouth of Jesus, it doesn't come out of the mouth of a believer. It doesn't belong in the mouth of a believer. And so I wanted to teach our sons how to carry through this legacy as well. And so we made this rule in our family from this point forward. We said only boys are allowed to clean the toilets. Is that, that's a good family rule. So this is a picture of my son, you know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. This is a good way. This is it. <laughs> You're right. It's like, Dad, really? You had to show that picture? Son's cleaning the toilet, scrubbing. These are important pieces to understand that we die to self. When we set aside what we want and we step into a place of service, when we walk in a place of love, there's an amazing breakthrough that happens for everyone around you. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This last piece of the character of Christ is the one that for me is one of the most difficult. That Jesus was unoffendable. That Jesus was unoffendable. There's so many places we can go with this. And we live in a society that just recoils on this whole concept because we have so many reasons and rights to hold on to our offenses. Why we think we're right. Why we think we have the reason to stand up and push for what we want but you never once will see that in the life of Christ. Jesus, I want you to picture this, on the cross, he spends years training up and pouring into his disciples. He has 12 disciples that he's literally invested his life in, blood, sweat, and tears. And at the end of his ministry, at his most vulnerable time, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He asked Peter, James, and John to stay awake and pray with him, and they couldn't do it. They kept falling asleep. Jesus is betrayed by Judas, arrested, and then beaten, mercilessly beaten. Scriptures say that pieces of his beard were pulled out by the chunks out of his face. It says that his face was beaten beyond recognition. And as he carried his cross up the Via Dolorosa, up to the Golgotha, the mountain where the skull is, and he's on the cross, they put the nails through his hands and his feet, and he's hanging there. How many of his disciples were there in that moment of his greatest need? There was only one. John. John the Beloved. His mom was there. Mary Magdalene was there. John was there. All the other disciples bailed. Can you imagine on that moment the emotional uh, place that Jesus must have been for him to feel justified in being upset, having frustration at the least towards his disciples? For him to look around and see where are they? They were there during this time. They were there during this time. And Jesus is hanging there. I can, ima- can you imagine him ever saying, how dare you, Peter? You can, I, I can't. I, it can't even, I can't fathom. I can't imagine Jesus stopping going, Peter, how dare you? You couldn't even stand up for me in front of a girl around a campfire. You denied me three times when you promised me that you would never leave me. You promised me you would give your life up for me. And now, where are you? You're nowhere. You can't hear Jesus speaking like that. Those kinds, but we, we think these things all the time in our natural minds. We think these things, and we have to reframe the way that we think. I'm going to have my wife come forward as we, uh, we get ready. We're going to be closing in a minute. I love having my wife play because she just, she just brings the presence on the keys, right? Just the Holy Spirit. We just want him here. But Jesus was unoffendable. In John chapter 13, as we close, I want us to go to these scriptures right here. In John chapter 13, if you would turn with me. It's important when we read stories in the Bible for us to place ourselves in the first hand with Jesus in the room. And I want you to picture that you're with the disciples. You're at the Last Supper. And Jesus wants to demonstrate to everyone in the room what it looks like to walk in selfless, unoffendable love. And so as you're sitting at the room, not fully sure what is going to happen, how things are going to play out, look at John chapter 13, verse 3. I love, I love the Gospel of John because it gives us a glimpse into the mentality and the mindset of Jesus. 24 hours before he's going to give up his life on the cross. The first two words, I I read out of the NIV, John 13, chapter 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. How did John know this? How did he, he can't read Jesus' mind. It's by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is giving John revelation of what Jesus is thinking at this moment. Jesus knowing that God had placed everything under his feet, under his authority. The whole world was his. And Jesus wanted to make a lasting impression on everyone in that room to show them this is what the greatest on earth looks like. 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had came from God and he was returning to God. Verse 4. I love this. Jesus, he's so good. Verse 4, so he got up from the meal. And what did he do? He took off his outer clothing. And he wrapped a towel around his waist. All things under him. All things were placed under Jesus. And he gets up to demonstrate what love looks like. He gets up, he takes off his outer garment, and he wraps a towel around his waist. Because he's going to get down on his hands and knees. He's going to get a basin of water, and he's going to wash every disciple's feet. I want you to picture this. As Jesus is going down the line, he probably starts with Peter. Finishes his feet. He goes to James. He's working his way. At some point in that night, he got to Judas. On his knees, he's washed who knows how many people's disciples' feet, and he gets to Judas. The gospel says in Luke that Satan actually entered Judas's body right before he made a deal with the Pharisees to, to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. So here's Judas sitting in the room with all the other disciples with Satan possessing his heart to betray him. And Jesus doesn't miss a beat. That's unoffendable love. Here's Jesus, and he gets to Judas, and he washes the man's feet who will sell him out and ultimately lead him to a gory death on the cross. Can you picture that, church? Jesus knew the whole time. He knew, and he chose to demonstrate what an act of service looks like, not just to the other 11, but to the one man that's going to sell him out, to the one man that's going to betray him. Walking in unoffendable love means that we don't get to give someone the silent treatment anymore. Walking in unoffendable love means we lay down our rights to be upset about how we are mistreated. Come on, this hurts me too. This is hard. Walking in unoffendable love means that we stop being hurt by people and we start hurting for people. There's a big difference in your mindset because when you're hurt by people, you feel justified in your offense. When you hurt for people, you are moved with the spirit of intercession and you begin to lift them up and start calling out prophetically the Christ in them. There's something different with that altogether. Jesus wasn't hurt by people. He hurt for people. Imagine Jesus coming down into the city of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and all the crowd is singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. He wept. His feelings weren't hurt. He was hurt for the people of God who rejected him. And he said, how I've longed to gather you under my wings like a mother hen gathers her chicks. Oh, that's unoffendable love. Walking in unoffendable love means that we stop setting so many boundaries. There's a lot of talk about boundaries right now. We stop setting so many boundaries to protect our mental health. 
and we start looking for opportunities to help others experience freedom. Because hurt people hurt people. Broken people pass on brokenness. But when we walk in unoffendable love, our breakthrough becomes someone else's breakthrough. How long do we get to sit in our brokenness and justify where we are, but where we are isn't lined up with who he is? So we don't get to stand in this and say, I can act this way or I get to do this because X, Y, Z. That X, Y, Z wasn't used by Jesus, and we don't get to use it either. And if we lay it down and we accept who he is, we step into a beautiful realm of beauty and breakthrough and miracles. Your healing becomes someone else's breakthrough. I'd love for us to close with communion today. And if we could have the ushers, we're going to start passing out the elements. And When you have the elements with you, I'd love for you to hold on to them. We're going to take them together as a church body, as the church family today. And I believe there's a beautiful revelation that God wants to bring to all of us. Whether you're here in this room or you're watching online. In fact, I would encourage you, if you are watching online or listening later, grab some bread, grab some grape juice. If you don't have it, get a soda. Grab some Cheerios. The food doesn't necessarily matter. It's the revelation of who we're remembering when we take the meal together. Because church, our identity is in him. As we take the elements, again, hold on to them. Don't take them just now. Hold them in your hand. If we can put the slide up with communion where Jesus in the last supper. Can you imagine this? You're finishing with the meal. Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. Hadn't yet gone to the cross. You can go ahead and pass it. Yeah, go ahead and send it through. Thank you. He takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. broken for you. Jesus. As we pass out those elements, can we just sing the verse of this song, I'm Forgiven? I'll sing that again. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven Jesus, we worship you. I'm you were I'm alive and well. I'm alive and well. The Spirit is within me because 
You died and rose again. Come on, sing Amazing Love. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. When we take the communion elements, you don't have to be a member of the promised church. But you do have to be a member of God's family. So I'd encourage all of you to take stock in your heart. If you've not had that opportunity or that moment to accept Christ as your Savior, to surrender your life, now is your opportunity. The Bible says for those that believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, they believe in their heart, and they confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord, and they believe that God rose him from the dead, that he will be saved. And you have an opportunity this morning, you can make that confession of faith. You can say, Jesus, I surrender my life. I lay my life down. And I ask that you would come and dwell within me. Fill me with your spirit. Be my Lord and my Savior today. So as you have the elements in your hand, imagine you're in the Last Supper. You're in those moments, the final day, the final moments before Jesus gives his life. The disciples were so clueless what Jesus was doing at that last meal. There was so much confusion around what Jesus was doing, but he, was, he had the long-term vision in mind for what was happening. He had you and I in mind when he was leading that Last Supper. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he broke the bread. Jesus was whipped beyond recognition, beaten mercilessly. He took on stripes on the cross so that your physical body could be healed. Church, I want to challenge you this morning to begin to replace your words with God's words and speak prophetically over your body. If you're in need of physical healing today, I want you just to confess out and say, thank you, Lord, for healing my back. Thank you for your healing over arthritis. We thank you that cancer bows its knee to King Jesus. Just begin to declare healing over those areas of your physical body. We thank you for the price, the terrible price that you pay Jesus, that we might be healed and whole in Jesus' name. Can we take the bread together? Thank you, Jesus. And in the same way, he took the cup. And Jesus said, this cup represents the new covenant. That's in my blood. Ephesians 1 says that in him we have redemption through his blood. Because life is in the blood. 
We have redemption. Everything that was lost and broken and stolen from your past life before Christ is redeemed through the blood. Full redemption. Nothing missing, missing, nothing broken. Can we say that over our lives today? Nothing missing, nothing broken. Fully redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So whatever deficiency you grew up with, whatever uh, baggage that you carried into this world from your family gets left at the cross, and we pick up his life because we laid ours down, right? So we step into the life of Jesus, nothing missing, nothing broken. Fully healed, fully whole, walking as redeemed people of God, washed by the blood of Jesus. This is our legacy, church. This is what we get to celebrate when we take part in the last meal. Whether you're taking it online at your home or you're doing it here in this room, I encourage you to do this regularly with your family. Our family takes communion together. We sit at the table. Men of God, hear me on this. If you're, the, if you're in a household and God has blessed you with children, you have children living with you in your home right now, grab the communion elements and lead your family in communion. Read 1 Corinthians 11, read through that passage, and tell your family, we're going to do this together. You're going to see redemption begin to take place in your family. You're going to see broken relationships restored, because that's the nature of our God. That's how he operates. And when we step into obedience to what he's called us to, we step into his blessings. So as we hold the blood... With our eyes closed, remembering the price that Jesus paid, the blood that he shed on the cross. I want you to understand this concept in scripture. Galatians 2.20 says that we have been crucified with Christ. His blood, in essence, is almost like our own. Hear me on this. We were co-crucified with Christ. We have to actually see ourselves as hanging on the cross with him. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for us. He died on the cross as us. We identify with him in his death so that we can then identify with him in his resurrection. That all of his life, all of the blessings that he carries, we now walk in because we died and now he lives within us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So as you hold this cup of blood, I want you to understand that his life was laid down so that you could step into it. So that you could walk in his blessings. Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross. We thank you that you came with the sole purpose knowing that the cross was the end. That was the goal. That three days later you would be risen from the dead. That in victory... You would defeat sin and death. And we walk in that victory as well. Church, I want you to take stock this morning. The forgiveness represented in the blood of Jesus is an unoffendable love. Take stock in your heart in this moment. If the Holy Spirit brings any name, any uh, situation to remembrance at this point, I want you to ask the Lord right now. Confess it to him. Say, Lord, I lay this down at the cross. I lay down my right to be upset at so-and-so. Forgive them right now in this moment. Release forgiveness in this room. There's going to be a blessing that just sweeps through. Some of you have carried some uh, 
some brokenness and bitterness towards your parents, towards things that you've, you've been raised in, things that you've carried in, and you feel like you can't shake it. And there's a grace in the room right now, I believe, for the Lord to just bring release through unoffendable love. Right now, release in Jesus' name. Let forgiveness be released in this room. We thank you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you for your blood that was shed. We are able to forgive. We are able to love because you forgave and you loved us deeply. We love God because he first loved us and sent his son. And we thank you, Jesus, for that blood that you shed, that we have full redemption, nothing broken, nothing missing. In the fullness of Christ, we remember in this moment the cross and we identify with you in your death that we also may take part in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the drink together. Thank you, Jesus. Church, can we stand? And here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to Come on, let's just lift this up this morning. Give him praise. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together one. Come on, just keep singing this out. Here I am to worship. Yes, Lord, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful. Come on, sing, I'll never know how much it cost. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that. I'll never know. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross just real quietly sing here i'm to worship here Sing, you're wonderful to me. You are wonderful to me. You're wonderful to me. You are wonderful to me. You're beautiful to me. You are beautiful to me. One more time, you're beautiful. You are beautiful to me Jesus
Jesus. His presence is here this morning. As we close out, if you have need, we're going to have the ministry team up front. Feel free to come forward for prayer. But I'd like to close us out in prayer this morning. As we go out, that we walk in the fullness of Christ, that we go in the maturity of who he is. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church, for this body. I speak blessing over everyone within the sound of my voice, Lord, that you're calling them into deeper places in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray by your spirit you would reveal what it looks like to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings that we would walk in the fullness of God, that we would walk in maturity, that in every way, how we act, how we respond, how we speak to others, it would manifest Jesus. Lord, I bless my brothers and sisters. I thank you that as we go, we carry you. We walk in your authority. We walk in your anointing. We walk in your power. And we walk in your love. Your selfless, unoffendable, beautiful love. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Promise, church. Have a great week. And if you need prayer, like we said, feel free to come forward.